so good to have you guys here this morning. What a joy. Can we just give the Lord glory one more time? He's so good. Last week, if you were with us or if you weren't, you can check out our YouTube or Facebook or podcast. We, we started a journey, really, I believe, from now to the end of the year. And uh, just looking at the pillars um, that God wants to establish in this house uh, the foundation is Jesus. Everyone say that with me. The foundation is Jesus. The Bible calls him the cornerstone, uh, the living stone. Um, and everything that, that, that is built in this place is built on the, the, the reality of who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he promises yet to do. So Jesus is our foundation. And upon that foundation of Jesus, we're, we're talking about these pillars. And last week, if you remember, I had a cheesy hand-drawn map, and I told the story of my, my son and his best friend, Joel Joel. And the reality is all of us are, are reading some sort of map. All of us are, are influenced by some overarching narrative or story that, that sort of dictates the trajectory and path of our life. Last week was about entering the kingdom story. That trading our jacked, I call them jacked up maps. Because I told you, you know, my sons, they had this map that was leading to a fake treasure. But how many know if they had followed that map, it would have led them probably not to a great place. And Jesus, in his mercy, he intersects our story. He enters into his world that we inhabit in the midst of a bunch of people who bear his image, who are building kingdoms for themselves. And he intersects our story he jacks up our map and he says, there's a better way to live, my way, but you've got to repent. Change your mind, change your thinking, and begin to walk in the new way that I both model and empower you to live if you'll respond to me. How many know that Jesus is a gentleman? He comes, he unapologetically releases his heart and his word, but then he's like, will you respond? Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, Will you respond? In fact, um, uh, one commentator, as I was reading, there's a bunch of parables. What are parables? Help me out. They're, thank you. They're stories that are meant to provoke, stories that are meant to be an invitation to, to a journey. And I, I love one commentator said this, in reality, all of Jesus's parables reveal one thing, the importance of a response. Say that with me. The importance of a response. All of Jesus' parable, be them the parable of the sower, the, the sower and the seed, or, or the treasure that's buried, or a pearl that's on the other side of the sea that you've got to get on a boat to go find, or all of the stories have this one thing in common. How will you respond to the in-breaking reality of Jesus and his kingdom? And in many ways, we wish it was just one response and done, but how many have lived a little bit of life, got a little bit of mile under the treads? It's not a one and done. It's an everyday moment. How am I responding to the king and his kingdom? It's like parenting or grandparenting, I assume. You know, how many times do you have to have the talk with your kids or grandkids? If we adopted a one and done, how would that go? Unless you're just really good at discipline. Probably you are, better than me. 
but it's this idea that Jesus is perpetually telling stories, inviting us into his story, but it's a story that demands a perpetual response. It's kind of like at the end of Joshua. Joshua, this great conqueror and deliverer of the people of Israel, he leads God's people into the promised land, but then he ends all of this great conquest, all of this great victory, five big kings and then 31 little ones. My dad always says to cover the five senses and then one for each day. Victory, 31 and five, okay. You'll get it. But at the end of Joshua, he, he's standing before the people and he goes, you know, at the end of the day, who are you gonna choose to serve? What's the famous one-liner at the end of Joshua? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose to obey and live. Choose to go your own way and experience death and brokenness. So all of Jesus' stories, they're an invitation to not respond once, but to perpetually respond so that we can experience life as God intended. And I love it. Many of the parables and stories of King Jesus that he tells, they've got sort of this time element. Did you know that the Bible says in James chapter 4 that you and I are like mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes? Did you know that's in the Bible? Did you know that, that, that as James writes of the futility of, of someone who's just a, how many, do I have any planners out there? Raise your hand if you're just, I know what's gonna happen 26 days from now, seven minutes and 23 seconds. Not to shame you if you're a planner. God is a planner, God loves planning, amen. But, but James talks about the futility of, of, of planning all of these things but not taking into account the, 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 the fragile nature of our lives. How many believe today that you are, life is fragile and precious? Raise your hand. And so a lot of these parables, these stories that are invitations from King Jesus to participate in life as he designed it, they have a time stamp on them. Why do you think Jesus would do that? In other words, over and over, the kingdom of heaven is like a master who gives a bunch of his servants, talents, and he doesn't tell them when he's going to return, but he's like, what are you going to do? Time element, right? There's this, there's, there's this intensity that when Jesus issues an uh, invitation in Luke chapter 9, and, and, he, and some guys claim that they want to follow him, that, but then he, he's sort of like, but the time is right now to respond, not tomorrow or the next day. Why do you think Jesus would do that? Because he knows life is fragile. Shake your head at me. He designed life to be experienced as he designed it, but he knows that when he offers the invitation, it's not so that you and I go, oh, nice thought. Maybe I'll get around to it in a couple days, weeks, months, or years. Come on, how many have experienced, not out of shame, years that were lost because you failed to respond to the present grace of God? That's not to be a stinker or heavy or mean. It's just the reality is that God knows time is precious and he wants to fill all of our time and to infuse it with his grace, with his truth, and with his love. So all of these stories, many of them that Jesus told, they have a time stamp. It's important that you not only hear the invitation to 
trade your jacked up map to respond and to rethink how to live life in light of me. But there's also that intensity that if you don't respond, dun, dun, dun. Come on, this isn't popular in our day and age where we think everything revolves around us and I can have it whenever I want. But when you're going through it, come on, somebody help me, you realize how incapable you and I to solve some of life's biggest problems. We need help from the king. We need him to break in. And, and I love these stories in Matthew chapter 25. So open your Bible. I'm going to make really quick work of Matthew 25. There are three successive stories about what the kingdom, God's rule, God's reign, God's reality amongst God's people all centered on and revealed in and through Jesus and now to us by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 25 tells these three quick stories. And I just want to pull out some implications of what these stories would mean for us. How many last week and this week you've been thinking, I want to trade my map that's going nowhere for the kingdom map that will last forever? This story, these three stories all have a similar theme and they carry this reality of the time-sensitive nature of responding and learning to continue to respond to Jesus so as to be ready. So this is the word of the Lord. Matthew 25 says this. The kingdom of heaven, which Matthew, when he says the kingdom of heaven, it's like the other three gospels referring to the kingdom of God. Same thing. Will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. Am I talking to anyone here this morning? Wake up. But at midnight, there was a shout. Look, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all of those bridesmaids, the ten, got up and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. Wah, wah, wah. It's in the Greek. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealer and buy some for yourself, the oil dealer. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went into the banquet, wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Everyone say, shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Oh, keep awake. Or as the young ones say, keep woke. Come on, I'm trying to stay relevant, man. Keep Awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Does everyone see, first of all, the time-sensitive nature of this story of Jesus? Jesus. 
I need more than one amen. There's a king who's the bridegroom king. The wedding is coming. The bridesmaids have no idea when it's wedding day. All ten have lamps, but only five have got extra oil to spare. And when the cry rang out, the five who were ready with a reservoir of oil, they were welcomed into the banquet, the, the wedding feast. The five that were not ready, who failed to prepare and to respond and keep responding to the reality of the kingdom of God, the door was shut. The reason I, I, I both love and hate this parable, mostly love, but it's a sober story, is because how often do we let our guard down, stop our pursuit, navel gaze, get stuck believing and falling back into old rhythms of, and habits of thinking life revolves around us and the, the, the immediate needs in front of us. How many have known the journey of failing in the delay? I promise you, last week, I'll just testify so you can just hear me. Last week was, uh, the week before last, you know, when I started it, it was one of the most amazing weeks in God's presence. I was stoked. The delay was pregnant with hope and expectancy. I was reading, praying, woo, awesome, yay. This week, a couple of kids got strep throat. I was grumpy. Come on, has anyone ever been grumpy? I was selfish. I'm like, don't you know? I'm a pastor. I got stuff to do. You don't got time. Man, my daughter, I, one day before school, I was like, suck it up, Mackenzie. You're not going to fake. Four hours later, I'm at work. Mama calls me and says, oh, I just took her to the doctor. Double ear infection, scarlet fever, and strep throat. And I was like, Pfft. I failed in the delay this week. God is so good. I'm not, bra I'm not bragging in my brokenness. I'm just saying, welcome to life, where one week you feel like you're soaring, and then the next week you're like, God, where are you? How many know that is the human experience? So I'm normal. I'm not normal. You know what I mean. We're normal. <laughs> the delay... The ups and the downs, the ebbs and the flows, the phone calls, texts, and emails, none of us can escape the reality and the squeeze of life. But all of us have a choice. What will we do Be in the delay? What will we do when the cry goes out, when we're to be preparing and stewarding our heart and staying awake and staying filled and re continually responding to the king and his kingdom, making space in our everyday life so that the oil of the Holy Spirit has a jar to fill, not just once, but over and over and over again. You and I have no bearing over the long term about what's going to happen to us or our health or how we're going to feel in the morning, but all of us have a choice to stay woke or not. All of us have a choice to stay in, in a spirit of readiness and preparation and and you know what's so stinking hard? I've been reading a ton about 
sort of the philosophical, cultural moment in, in a world that wants to basically erase God out of the narrative. The problem with what's, what's happening in culture right now, and I'm not a meanie, bad, bad culture guy. I'm literally just reading so I know what to do. I'm trying to be prepared as a pastor. But one of the things of, of adopting a fully naturalistic sort of God doesn't exist, we don't have time for him, we're just going to build human utopia, and we're just going to progress our way into learning not how to kill each other, but like each other. How's that working for us? It's a myth. It doesn't work. But one of the things that I'm reading about the cultural moment is when you erase God out of the story, all you're left with is to believe the lie that this life is all there is. And when you erase God and it's just about me and about my preferences, my likes, it's about me building my own life and doing my own little thing is that the invitation of the kingdom can feel like foreign language because the king comes to deorient, decenter you. He wants to sit on the throne of your heart, not because he's a meanie, but because the one who invented life is the one who knows how to empower life as it was tended to be lived. And when you and I are at the center, we don't experience life as God designed. And so the hard thing about parables like this, and you watch the shows, you hear the news, you are in a culture that is strategically trying to erase God out of the big picture in the story. And it's not, not just those bad pagans, it's you and I, the good, most of us believe the Bible and the story, but that kind of thinking can seep into our souls and we'll begin to think all there is is this life and we will be asleep to the purposes that God's wanting to do in and through our lives. If we stay awake to him. Because to a world that says there is no God, this life is all there is, this whole story makes no sense to prepare for a life that transcends and outlasts this one. It makes no sense to a world that just gives in to sowing to the flesh and whatever pleasure you want, name it. Name your flavor, it's yours, just go and get it. To a world that the story is about virgins, those who say no to the things of the flesh so that they can say a huge, enormous yes to the life of the spirit and the kingdom of God. This story in our cultural moments like, dude, you lost me. You lost me. And Jesus loves to disrupt the story because he knows how insidious the enemy is to sow lies, to sow wrong thinking in, not just to those who don't know Jesus, but to those who have heard about the gospel and responded at one point, but at some way along the journey, they fell asleep and they stopped preparing. Come on, am I talking to anyone here today besides me? So what are you supposed to do in the delay? Stay devoted. What are you supposed to do when you feel nothing this week? Your kids got strep throat and you're exhausted and then you let them sleep on the floor, biggest mistake of your life, because they just make noise all night. This is just a trite, and many of you are, you're facing way bigger giants this week, so I'm not trivializing the delay. I'm just speaking out of my own life. What are you going to do between the God who promised, between the God who is faithful, and you seeing the promise fulfilled? Simple, not easy. Stay devoted. 
Chad, you don't understand what I'm facing. You don't understand the, the, the trial. You don't understand the uphill battle. I know I probably really don't, but you know what? I want to encourage you that when all hell is breaking out against you and you don't know how up from down or left from right, what you can do is continue to respond to the grace of God. Stay devoted. Don't work yourself up. God's grace has already reached you. He's already been in pursuit of you from before time began. Just learn to keep responding to his voice, not the voice and the lies of the, accu the accuser, the one who says this is as good as it gets. You're the one who took the wrong turn. You're left to fend for yourself. Come on, somebody. That is not the voice of Jesus. That is not the voice of the Lord. So what do you do in the delay, and the grind, when, when you're asleep, but you know the master's coming, his word is going forth. You stay devoted. Am I talking to anyone here today who ever gets distracted? Just say amen if that's you. I got some honest people over here. No one really said anything over here. It's super easy that when, when, when life is going at the speed of sound, and it's easy to, um, like the dogs in the Disney movie, Up. Squirrel! <laughs> Come on, who has seen Up? It is one of the greatest Pixar movies of all time. Shameless plug. Okay, I got a lot of kids. But, you know, squirrel! And it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to allow our devotion and diligence, staying awake in the distraction and in the grind. And how many have ever bought into this one? When, when trials strike and difficulties arise, it's way easier to buy into the lie that what you're facing is bigger than the God who called you to walk on water. Anybody out there? And it's not to shame, it's to say this is what the enemy does. He has no creative power. He can only take and use situations and spin them so that God looks smaller. His greatness is diminished and your problem becomes primary and supreme. But the king of the kingdom reigns on a throne over sin, hell, death, and the grave. And he who began a good work will finish a work. He who was crucified, dead, and buried, rose again and ascended. And he's coming again to set every wrong thing right. And in, the, and in the middle of it, it's not to say, oh, I'm just going to ignore my problems. He gave us this little thing called prayer. You and I have access to Jesus' dad that we get to call Father. And we get to say, let your name be holy in the grind and the mess that I'm making or that I'm experiencing or that I made. Let your name be shown for what it is, the greatness, the glory, the holiness. May your name be holy. May the name that you marked me with when I put my faith in Jesus, may that name be promoted as holy and splendorous and glorious in whatever I'm facing. And then he goes, oh yeah, in the midst of the grind, you know what you can do? You can cry out, God, let your kingdom come. Life as you design, your rule, reign, and reality. Let what is real in heaven break into the earth in the situation I'm going through. See, listen, listen, you and I, we're, we don't take a defeatist mentality. If you're in the kingdom, you're not defeated. Come on, somebody. If you're in the kingdom, you are in the one who is already victorious. And so it can feel, listen, it can feel weak. It can feel powerless. I know that feeling. Oh, 
but God, really, does that Bible verse really work here? When all you have left to do is stand, you are in a place where you can take a front row seat to see God break into the situation you're facing and then change you on the way to doing it. Father, let your name be holy. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the midst of the delay, God has given us access to himself, to his power, to his provision, to his presence. So stay devoted and diligent, undistracted. Five had oil and five did not. Throughout the Bible, I've read, you know, some stuff on this parable. And Throughout the Bible, what has been personified as oil? Someone help me. You guys all get snicker bars after. The Holy Spirit. The anointing, the comforter. That's it. Thank you. That was the answer I was looking for. So the story is this, that in the church... And those who've heard the, the, the story of the kingdom, there's going to be people who are going to press against the spirit of the age to realize the story transcends your time and my time. It goes all the way on to eternity. So I'm going to keep pressing in, offering my little vessel as a house container and then conduit of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then there are those who are like, I'm good with just a little bit of Jesus. I like my nap. But when the cry goes out, what you and I fail to cultivate in the delay, we're not going to be able to pull and reach for when the time is out. It's a sober call. The scripture says in Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Help me out, Gene. What's the Greek tense? I put him on blast. He's way smarter than me, like three master's degrees. It's, it's, a, it's a continuous. Don't just get filled once. You got to stay filled. D.L. Moody said it best. You know, he was interviewed after his great, huge ministry. And they're like, D.L., why do you always preach about the baptism of infilling of the Holy Spirit? He goes, because we leak. <laughs> Come on, do I, any leakers out there? I leak. It's like a huge hole. Hey, I, gotta, I need to be filled. I, I, come on, turn to your neighbor and say, man, you leak. You need to keep being filled. Stay awake. You need oil. And even though, listen, come on, somebody, I'm about to preach right here. Even though you and I can have everyone, listen, even McDonald's can get delivered to your front door as if they're two-minute wait in the whatever that line is called. You can Amazon, if you're in a big city, it can fly to your door. But there's one thing no one can do for you, and that is to press into the presence of God. No one can do that for you. You can't buy some oil from someone else. There's an invitation of the king and the kingdom, and he's saying it's like ten virgins, and five were pressed in and ready. They had jars of oil, but there were five who just thought, I can just be a little bit of this. I can just give a little bit of money or a lot of money. It's cool. We'll take it and use it for the king and his kingdom. 
But we just, but then I want you to know the essence of Christianity is to be filled with the life of God. The whole story is to give our little vessels as broken and sinful as they are and have his holy love begin to transform us from the inside out so that we can become carriers, conduits, vessels of the river of God's life. He's called the Holy Spirit. I'm preaching right there. You can one line, you can one click. Man, I, Amazon is deadly. Come on, elbow someone next to you if, 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 if they can get bit by the lie. that Just whatever you want from anywhere in the world. It'll be there in two days. Just pay $120 for Amazon Prime. But there's, in, 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 in a me-focused, immediate culture, this parable just cuts us. There's some things you can't one click and buy. <laughs> so what are you going to do in the delay? I love this one-liner. I was thinking about this. So many of us are like, oh, those are the weird spiritual people that they, you know, they like to pray or read their Bible. And I'm good. <laughs> but they're not the super spiritual. They're just the ones who know they can't make it without Jesus. They're the ones who are most aware of their brokenness, how much they leak. And apart from his power and presence, I told my wife a couple years ago, I, I was like pretty in a bad place and I'm like babe I am just no good without Jesus come on anyone out there besides me it's just if he's not helping and healing and filling and if his words not being etched on my heart man there's a bunch of junk and crud and crummy stuff that comes out I need to stay filled I love this one liner pressing in is a preventative measure it's not just for the spiritually elite who can go to the altar, or they get up early, they, they do the disciplines. They Listen, they, the only reason I press in and, and, and respond to God's grace in the morning and try to learn to respond all day is because I know who I am without him, and it ain't that pretty. I need oil, man. I got cracks and creaks. I need the oil. I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to smooth those rough places out. Come on, who else am I talking to here this morning? The only way to keep awake is to stay filled with Jesus via the Holy Spirit. To give ourselves wholeheartedly in the delay, not to complain and to wonder why me or woe is me, but to go woe is he. Whatever I'm facing, I can't control it, but I can, I can, I have say over what I'm looking at, who I'm looking to and leaning on, and it's you, God. And whether it's in this age or at the age to come, when you come again, like the story is talking about the second coming of Jesus, whether it's right now, heaven come, or it's later when all of the kingdoms of this world bow their knee to the king and his kingdom and Satan and all of his demons are thrown into the fiery lake for all eternity. Whether it's now or then, I am going to keep my eyes on you and stay awake. This one area, I put this in, it's all, it's a black, it's bold. The number one attack of the enemy is the, is the one thing he can no longer have because of his treason and rebellion against God. It is the place of your intimacy, communion, and friendship with God. Do you know the devil can have a whole lot of other things? He can have power. He can have position. Come on, somebody. 
All of Egypt's sorcerers could do the same tricks that Moses and Aaron could do. Come on, read your word. The number one attack of the enemy is the one thing he can no longer possess, and that is communion and a life of full, beautiful fellowship with God. So when all the hell breaks loose and, 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 and the fans are rickety and shaking and your foundation feels like it's cracking, the number one attack is in that space, allow that time where you used to press in and to just sit in the grace of God, where you let his word wash over you when you listen to the, the worship music or the podcast. The number one attack is in the midst of the grind. You forget that you leak, but there's a God who has a source and supply that never runs dry as long as you keep bringing that vessel and say, fill me, Holy Spirit. I can't, but you can. I need you. This is good. It's the number one attack. And if it's the number one attack, last I checked in the word, God is greater than the enemy's schemes, ploys, and plans. So if this is the number one attack, the place of friendship and intimacy with God, then that means there is victory in the battle if we'll look to the one who is victorious. There's a billion options out there. In the delay, when everyone else is sleeping, your jar, oil or no oil, there's a billion options that can distract us from our unity and communion with God. This is the enemy's number one strategy. He's not even all that bummed if you just go and be busy as long as you're not filled. Ooh. I need to be busy, just go do, but I'm not, I got nothing. I'm empty. But here's the cool thing. This parable reveals the necessity to, to stay awake, pressing in. It, it's very sober to say that when the hour comes and the king who came is the kingdom who comes again, the king who comes again, and it's a sober story. But there's hope. Because you know why? The Bible talks about being devoted. And did you know that no matter the season, it may look a little bit different, but devotion is not a decibel level. It's not a, it's a posture of your life to say, God, I'm gonna continue to respond to your grace and your wooing love. I'm gonna keep that posture of readiness by just perpetually pursuing you as a preventative measure because I know by nature I will grow sleepy, distracted, and undisciplined. Or did I just describe myself? <laughs> and the reason why I'm saying the grace to respond because you and I initiate nothing. Come on, someone who's legalistic in here is like, oh, okay, that means I gotta go. I, gotta, I, 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 That's not Christianity. Christianity is he, 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 he. Jesus, 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 Holy Spirit. It, you and I aren't just devoted. It's per learning to respond to the one who's devoted, who started a work in you to form Jesus fully in you. So that's why I'm, I'm using my language on purpose. It's not just, I gotta, it's I'm gonna respond to the one who's pursuing me who's reaching out to me. Last thing about this story, and then we're done. 
You know, we just launched, and we're launching all of our classes. This is an, a, another shameless plug. You already know about the altar that we're doing, and we're, we're going to add some hours and shift some hours in the next few weeks as well. But this, this parable, I remember I was sitting on it just reflecting, and, and this hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm not saying it's unprecedented. Because, yes, at the, at the surface level, there's a king who's coming, so stay awake, be ready, have oil. Shake your head at me. There's the basic, okay, I get it. But the Lord showed me humbly, there was another breakdown here. Why did the five with oil not tell their friends they need oil too? This is not only a breakdown of devotion, it's a breakdown of relational discipleship. I, 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 when Adam and Eve sinned and then Cain and Abel, remember Cain killed his brother Abel? That's how good we do at ruling our own world. I'm just saying. But what was Cain's word to, to God? Do you hear your, blo- your brother's blood? What, what was his word to Cain back in, in, in... Am I my brother's... Did you know that that mentality has no place in God's kingdom and God's family? So when you see a brother or sister who ain't pressing in, staying filled, you're not the the oil police. You should, God, Holy Spirit, break us and let's go to a brother and say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Are you okay? Are you facing something that you can't get over? Let's press into his presence. Let's give him our little cracked jar and let him fill us again with his Holy Spirit. This reveals not just a breakdown that five were devoted and five weren't. It, it, it's, it's this thing that's killing us in the West of me privatized, individualized, me, me, me. My faith is private. Your faith is not private. It's personal, but it, it has repercussions for all of your life. There's no such thing in the Bible as a privatized Christianity. Fundamental to believing the gospel is that God in Christ is the world's one true king and ruler. And serving him, he wants to infuse all of life and all of its spheres and sectors with his life, with his love and his light. There's nothing private about that. It's personal, yes. Shake your head at me. But just me... Life is too hard, sin is too appealing, and the darkness is too all-encompassing to take that perspective. This is a breakdown, not just of devotion, but why did the other five not look to their fellow friends and say, hey, you don't know when he's coming, but let's just get filled and stay ready. Come on, I love, I love, 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 love. Do you know how the Bible ends? I think it ends with a, a picture of a prayer meeting. Shameless plug. Because it ends with the spirit and the bride say, come. You want to stay woke? Want to stay awake? Want to stay filled? Come. What if that was our posture in your marriage or your friendship? Come. At your workplace. Come. In the grind that you're facing, the giant that you wonder if if it's going to fall when you sling the stone at it. Come. The spirit and the bride say, come, come, Lord Jesus. He who came in power, won't he come again? He who raised the dead, won't he raise again? Come. And I want to provoke us just by this one story. It's not enough for you to be devoted, although that's a great start. 
But who has God put around you? Who has God put around me? That he's like, you're your brother and sister's keeper. I can't give you my oil, but I can provoke you that the oil is really awesome. Come on, someone say, I can't give away that place of, of, of me pressing in and being filled, but man, I hope that my life is salty and light emanating. I hope it provokes those around me to go, whoa, that guy's a knucklehead, and if he can be filled, so could I. This is a breakdown of discipleship. We need God. Oh, my goodness. God wants us. Someone say us. He wants us to stay awake and filled. Not just you, individual, you, individual, you, individual. God wants, and he is coming back. Jesus Christ is coming back. That's, hello, central to the parable. But he wants a bride, that's us, to be ready to have their hearts fixed upon him and his kingdom, his reality, to stay awake, stay filled, and then to provoke each other. Hey, your oil's getting a little low. How do I know? Because you're super grumpy. Let's get on the altar again. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. Let's press in. Am I talking to anyone today? You say, Chatty, I know what it is to be distracted in the in-between. I know what it is to leak. But I want to respond. I, I, I traded my map for the kingdom story. I'm, I've repented, but I want to keep responding. And this story, this one of like 20, 30 parables that describes the reality of the kingdom, man, Jesus wants me to stay awake and to stay filled. Can let's stand to our feet. And then he wants us to operate as a spiritual family where we realize that it's not just enough for us to stay awake and filled. He wants us to encourage one another on the journey. Uh, there's this great closing story in Second Kings chapter 4. Everyone remember, well, sorry, that'll isolate people. Anyone heard of the story of, of the widow who offers the jars and the oil keeps flowing as long as she keeps up? Raise your hand or don't. That'll make people feel bad. Raise your hand. Okay. Sorry. This is how it ends. Now the wife of the member of the company of prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but a creditor has come and he's taken my two children as slaves. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? She answered, your servant has nothing in the house. Come on, who's been there? What do I have to offer God? <sighs> yeah. Your servant has nothing. She didn't have a husband. In this culture, you, you're fit, you're, you, you have nothing, no standing. Come on, am I talking to anyone? That's us apart from Jesus, friends. The creditor is coming. I can't save myself. I can't get myself out of the mess. My map leads to, to but I can repent and acknowledge my nothingness. That was last week. My poor in spirit. Remember? Okay. Preach. Your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. Ah. Go outside, borrow vessels from all of your neighbors, empty vessels. Come on, if you're empty or dry today, that's not the end of your story. That's the beginning of a new adventure with Jesus. <laughs> and not just a few. Come on, we may be empty, Jesus, but we ain't few. We can be filled today. 
Then go in, shut the door behind you and your children, and start pouring into all of these vessels. When each is full, set it aside. So she left him, shut the door behind her and her children. They kept bringing vessels to her, and she kept pouring. Come on, someone say, she kept pouring. Oh, I like this story. It's so easy to preach it because it's just the best story. You get the story. This widow, Findless, has a debt to pay, has nothing to give, but she's got some oil. You can just see neighbors bringing their jars. Bring them, bring them, bring them, bring them, bring them. And if she kept pouring, what happened? The vessels were full. Then she said to her son, bring me another vessel. But he said to her, there are no more. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your children can live on the rest. The principle to me of the story, it's a whole nother message. But you keep offering your vessel, God's gonna keep filling your vessel. You keep, yeah. God, I can't. The pull, the reality of my situation, but I responded to the king and his kingdom, and I want to stay awake. I want to stay pressed in. I want to stay, you know, your posture. Holy Spirit, fill me. I can't, but you can, and you have an infinite supply of grace, of love, and of mercy. So just right now, can, I mean, it's not working up a bunch of words. Can you just pray to the Father like this poor widow and just say, God, here's my jar. It's not much, but you can fill it. You can fill it. I confess my emptiness. I confess my weariness and my sleepiness, but Jesus, you can fill this jar, this life. Five were ready, five weren't, but I am, it provokes me to say, why did the other five not encourage their friends to stay filled? And so, Lord, as we're launching all of these classes and groups and prayer times and meetings, I pray that we would not go get busy and chase our tail, but that, Lord, we would be in a company, a community of those who would provoke us to say, your jar is getting empty. It's time to get filled again. It's a breakdown of discipleship and devotion. And God, I'm praying that, that the oil of your Holy Spirit would fill our people, fill me, fill us, Holy Spirit, because there's a world that is desperate to know that this life is not all there is. There is a king who has come and is coming, and you can be filled with his life right here and now. So, Lord, I pray that you would grip us with this truth. Holy Spirit, fill us. Drive away the lie. All of the lies the enemy tries to get us to believe. We may not have much, but we've got a jar of oil. Come on, someone. We may not have much, but God says, I am his vessel. So, Lord, fill our church this week. May we stay awake. May we live in this kingdom story this week. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. 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 amen.